Hello, I am really excited you're joining me for today's episode where we're talking to Yuri Kruman, and I will introduce him in just a minute, but did want to mention, you know, some of the past episodes, just want to give you a quick summary of some of them. So last episode, we had Gotham Ganglani, and he talked about breaking bread and building relationships, how he helped take a, a family business, which was a, a business bookstore, and expand it into an international bit events business. And it's a great story and really hones in on the importance of consciously building relationships, not networking, but really going a step or three beyond that. And then before that, we had Dr. David DeLong, and he was talking about avoiding career dead ends. I suspect a lot of us have been there where we're feeling stuck. We're feeling like we don't know where to go. We don't want to get stuck in our career. So what do we do? And so he really offers us some practical advice around that. And then before that, we had Daniel Teitelbaum, and he talked about thinking playfully. And I love the episodes where we have guests on who are just focused on how do we bring more play into our lives? How do we bring more play into our work, into our business, and enjoy the benefits of it? So it, it's not a, a silly, fluffy topic. It's actually a very serious topic. And we really get into some great discussion about how to go about doing that. How, how do we think playfully? How do we benefit from the creativity, the innovation, the inclusion that happens when we start you know, breaking down, being so darn serious all the time. Now, today's guest, as I mentioned, I'm excited to introduce, it's Yuri Kruman, and he talks about being your own commander-in-chief. Now, he is an executive coach. He is a human resources leader in fast-growth startup companies. He's an author. He's a speaker. And so he really talks about taking charge of your own life and your own career. And so as you listen, there's several things that we cover. The process that he uses to help people prepare for career change. So if you're thinking about a career change or if you've had a career change thrust upon you, how do you go about getting that, that next job, that next career? He talks about understanding who you are as a person and aligning that with your who you are as a professional and using something he talks about called as the zone of genius. He talks about getting rid of negative self-talk how leaders get in their own way and how the imposter syndrome affects them, the importance of vulnerability and four conversations that we all need to be having with ourselves and others. And uh, I really enjoy this conversation. And I think you will too, as always, you know, please rate it, share it, comment on it. And of course you can comment on Twitter, just at Brock Edwards. You can email me at imperfectactionpodcast at gmail.com. But really, let's play bigger, let's do better, let's move the world. Perfect action. This is Brock Edwards, and today's guest is Yuri Kruman. And Yuri, um, well, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you, and what are you up to? Hey, Brock. Uh, I'm Yuri Kruman. It's uh, great to be on your show. A little bit about myself. Um, I do HR consulting for fast growth startups, and I also do executive coaching. I'm a writer and speaker. Um, you know, that's that's a good start there. All right. Well, actually, I have several questions that, that come out from that because you, you've actually covered a lot of ground right even in there. Mm -hmm. And uh, so one of the things that, that I do know about you is that you've changed careers several times. You know, that's mentioned in your LinkedIn profile. Yep. And so I, I'm curious, um, how do you, 
what advice do you have for people who do change career? Like, how do you prepare to change? I know sometimes it's thrust upon us, but even when it is, how do you make the best out of that? I always like to joke, kids don't try this at home. <laughs> but uh, no, in all seriousness, I think the, the most important part of that process, and again, this is, I would say, the, the most common kinds of coaching that I do. Really, you have to start with your story, right? It's very easy to say, oh, you know, um, I'm such and such. And you, you say the such and such in a way that fits the narrative of the person you're talking to exactly, right? So you need a, I don't know, a chief of HR. Oh, well, I'm a chief of HR, of course. Uh, I've always done that. That's not always sincere. That's not always um, going to bring great results. The most important part, you have to really go back and remember, who are you? Where are you going? What are you meant to do? Does that really align with who you are, with your values, your mission, your vision? And are you, let's say, using your energy in a way that's aligned with who you are? I don't mean to get all woo-woo, but um, you know, there's a methodology for this. This is the bedrock of all my work. I start with with that part with every single client, regardless of, of, of their story. And then once they themselves have the wording, the language and the psychology to tell their story, then they can go out and look for a company that, let's say, aligns with their mission and values. And then in interviews, they're not trying to impress anyone for the wrong reasons. They are speaking their story, their truth in the way that matters to them, and they're looking for a good fit for them. This is the key piece, regardless of whether you're unemployed or you're not you know, 100% clear, you have to know who you are and be honest with yourself about what works and what doesn't. Because if you're not honest, it's not going to last long. It's not going to be a great experience. You'll be back in the same place a few months later. Well, Yuri, I mean, you, you mentioned you don't want to get all woo-woo when you're talking about aligning energy. But so what do you mean by aligning energy? And how do you help people do that? Sure. So I, I can just very briefly describe my methodology. Again, this is the, the first step with any client. So first we look at their life mission, meaning not their legacy, not what they're doing for the next year, but the next 10 years out, okay? Imagine that you have solved a problem that really matters to you. That again, is not something that's decades. It's not something just a few months. It's, it's in 10 years, you visualize yourself. I've solved this problem. And then you go backwards and you say, okay, well, let's say I'm running a company that has solved this problem. So how have I built this in 10 years? So I give the example, let's say you wanna, I don't know, cure AIDS in Thailand in 10 years. So what do you need to do to accomplish that? You work backwards, you say, okay, I need to start a pharma or biotech company, great. Um, I need to raise a ton of money because that's not happening otherwise. I need to great, hire great talent, I need to develop the drug. I need to get it FDA approved. I need to go over to Thailand, lease with the health ministry. I need to get the target population antiretrovirals. Then I give them my blockbuster drug and bam, I've accomplished my goal, right? So of course, usually things are much more complex and whatever, but you know where you're going, you know what you wanna accomplish. Then you say, okay, in that 10 years, I need to have these kinds of experiences, one, two, three. I need to meet these particular kinds of people, now create networks, et cetera. Maybe I need to raise money. Maybe I need to pick up new skills, right? So how do, you know, then you break it down on a project management timeline. So in the first year, this is where I should be. Um, if I'm tracking progress, here's where I should be at three years, five years, 10 years. And then that gives you a tangible guide with tangible goals and milestones for actually accomplishing that goal. 
Okay, so life mission, you also look at zone of genius. Um, if you're familiar with this, three things overlap. One is what you're really good at, the best of anybody in your cohort. Number two is what you really enjoy doing, meaning something that you really wish perhaps that you could get paid for to do all the time. And number three is where do you add massive value in a business? Okay, where those three things intersect, now you throw in, let's say, unlimited resources. So I come in, I give you a billion dollars. I say the only caveat is that you have to go and do that nine to five. So what is that? What does that look like? If you had to reserve one job, one role for yourself in a company that's yours, which one do you keep? That's without any constraints, okay? Life mission. Number two is values. You look at the personality traits of people who have empowered you to be your best self, professionally and personally. And then you break down who are these people specifically and are they perhaps kind or generous or hilarious or brilliant? You know, it could be people that are clergy, could be family, could be professors, could be someone's podcast you listen to or someone's book you read. And you need to figure out that formula, the kinds of people that you need around you in order to help you thrive. Then with every interaction you have after that, you can filter for it. Is this person fitting that profile? Is this person going to help me thrive or not? And that goes for interviews, that goes for investors, vendors, employees, you name it. Okay. Number three is outcomes. You look at the way that energy leaves your body. Again, sounds a little, woo. what do I mean? Some people are born evangelists. They get up on uh, the stump and they say, this is the greatest and most important thing since sliced bread. Come work with me, come invest in me. Okay, someone else says, uh, blah, blah, blah. Give me a timeline, give me a budget. I'll get it done. That's an operator. Someone else is a niche expert. They're the best in the world at a very narrow thing. Someone else is a caretaker. They love empowering others to do their best work. And someone else is a brilliant strategist. They're bringing together all those different people and knowledge and expertise on one map and, and sort of helping everyone see the big picture. Okay. And the fourth piece is role. Role looks at all of those outcomes we just mentioned, but in your personal life. Okay, often we're kind of, you know, playing like we're different people at work and at home. And the whole premise is, you know, maybe you want to integrate those two. You don't want to balance them because balance doesn't work, just like with work life. You want to integrate them. You want to be yourself all of the time, as much as humanly possible, because that's how your best work comes. You have life mission, values, outcomes, and role. Then we also look at negative scripts. What's in your head that's preventing you from becoming your best self. It's usually, I didn't go to the right school. I didn't do the right thing. I don't have the right experience. What if I fail? What if I succeed? Those kinds of things. And then founding stories, meaning formative experiences that make you who you are. And that could be um, immigration. It could be growing up uh, the child of single parents, um, or it could be divorce. It could be career change. You name it. Anything could be a formative um, experience. And that goes toward whom have you influenced, not just who's influenced you. What books do you enjoy? You know, what music, etc. And all of those pieces are crumbs to help us understand who you really are as a human. Then we connect that to who you are as a professional. Where do you want to go next? Then we work on the tactics. Okay, here are the companies that align with your life mission and values. And, you know, here is how to reach out to them, how to create conversations, interviews, how to negotiate for a higher salary, and then how to do well in your new job. So you had mentioned something in there. So that, I mean, that, that's a, you just 
compressed what sounds like a, a multi-hour, multi-day process into a few <laughs> few minutes description. So appreciate that. That's a lot of information. Sure. Uh, but you had mentioned the zone of genius and uh-huh. struck by that and made a note. So I'm curious for you, a, a guy who does a lot of different things, Yep. You know, what, what is your zone of genius? What are you good at? Where do you provide massive value? What do you enjoy doing? Forgive the siren in the background. Uh, Brooklyn never changes. <laughs> um, I would say that my zone of genius is around helping others through language and psychology to figure themselves out and to tell their story in order to find the right career for them to build the right business or to otherwise become their fullest and best self. For, for you, what, what is the, I mean, when, when you're coaching people, I mean, different coaches have, have different styles. So for you, what, what are you particularly good at there? So I would say that it's, it's two sides. Um, one is on the one hand, really helping someone to develop the right language and psychology to tell their story, which means going deep. I would say that it's doing the equivalent of therapy without spending, you know, hours and hours and months and months on it. Um, it's really getting right to the heart of the matter. Who is this person? What makes them tick? And number two is tying that to concrete business outcomes, uh, meaning for them to find the right dream job, uh, for them to find the right career, for them to find the right context in which to do their life's best work. So it's, it's both very high level um, distillation and it's also very practical focus on business outcomes. I would say that's, that's kind of going around the zone of genius. Okay. Well, in connecting to that, because not only do you work with individuals, but you work with organizations as, as well. So when you come into an organization, uh, what are some of the first steps that you do to assess how they need to build or improve, you know, their talent systems? You know, it's, um, it's actually, it's not even that subtle. I would say, I just go in and I say, look, um, I need information, right? And usually when I'm called to come in, there's a very poor and blocked flow of information. And frankly, in the vast majority of companies, even very good ones, there is poor flow of information. And when that flow is shunted or it's filtered or it's somehow not terribly optimal, or let's say people don't trust whatever information is coming down the pike, you have all sorts of blocks. You have people that feel they're out of the loop. They feel like, um, you know, I don't really know what's going on in other parts of the company. I have no idea how decisions are being made. Never mind that nobody's listening to me or asking me even, you know, how to, how to help make decisions. So the first thing I do by definition is to open those flows to open the sinks of information. Part of that is just by listening, by asking the right questions. It's by coming in, you know, as the head of HR, that's the chief employee advocate. So my job is to listen and to see what I can humanly do to make their life at work and maybe not just at work easier. Maybe that's through uh, better benefits. Maybe that's through, um, you know, implementing Slack. Maybe that's by helping them figure out their career path. Maybe that's by helping them resolve their issues with their manager, right? Maybe that's by training leadership to understand what the hell it's like to be an employee. 
in their company, right? So it's, it's really all of those seemingly soft kinds of um, touch points or, you know, uh, loci, if you will, right? So it's, it's really just knowing how to coach people, <laughs> how to get the information out of them and then turn that around and say, okay, I know how to help you. Here's, here are the right resources. I'm going to help you resolve conflict. I'm going to help you see where you can go forward in this company, get paid more, get promoted, et cetera. And by the way, here's how your work connects up to the big picture of the company. Okay, so that's always the first step. Open those flows and then based on what you get out of it, you can start taking concerted action to improve dynamics, improve communication um, and, and act upon that information more quickly to make people more productive, to manage projects better, to refine their roles, so on and so forth. You know, Yuri, a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and for you, what sets one organization apart from another when you talk about the, the people systems? You talk about people systems, um, again, going back to this idea that most founders, um, if, they're, if they're coming from a corporate environment, you know, Fortune 500 and so on, they're usually highly specialized. They're usually used to having a lot of resources at their disposal. And when they start something, they have very few resources, whether because they haven't raised the money or they don't have the talent um, and they're having to do a lot of things on their own. So it's very much as your podcast title suggests, you have to take a lot of imperfect action. And when it comes to HR, again, because the background of most founders is sales, marketing, finance, anything but HR, <laughs> they usually have HR as an afterthought, meaning, well, we need just bodies and seats. We need someone to, I don't know, just do talent acquisition, whatever the hell that means, right? So when you, when you talk about people's systems, most founders of fast growth companies just don't think about people's systems very much. They just say, oh, get on Slack. Oh, you know, just uh, come and tell me if something's wrong, right? But as a company grows bigger, that's not practical. The founder cannot be the person listening to everyone's problems. So, you know, they, they maybe, I've seen this happen quite a lot. They hire maybe a head of HR, an HR director. So either someone very high level who hasn't done lower level things in a long time. They're usually maybe number two or number three from a big company. So they're not really keen to, so to speak, roll up their sleeves and do all that work. Or it's someone who's not a strategic, who does the day-to-day -day management, but doesn't have the big picture of how the hell to run HR and how, how to empower people, coach them, and then put the systems on top of that to empower whatever changes they're making. So it's HR is a very tricky thing because HR is last on and first off. Say more about that, the last on and first off piece. So if, again, if you think about the, the mindset, so let's say I'm a, a founder, I'm doing a SaaS company, I'm, you know, let's say I'm a product manager, right? So I'm great at building stuff. I'm used to working with coders, product marketers, et cetera. Um, you know, I sort of just see new uh, team members emerge when I work for someone else. And now I'm like, well, okay, I'll look at my network. Hey, who wants to come work for my cool company with this awesome mission? So the first few hires are easy because they're usually from the network. They're, you know, from um, alumni groups. They're from, uh, you know, similar circles, et cetera. So everyone looks and sounds the same. You have a, you have a frat house. Congrats. Right. Um, after a certain point, you get someone in there and, you know, maybe, again, they're either lower level, not very strategic, or they're too high level and they don't have the, the infrastructure built. So 
you know, the reason that I'm usually brought in is because either the high, you know, the high level head of HR didn't work out. They just couldn't build it themselves or because the lower level director doesn't have the knowledge or the expertise to build something more strategic. So you have problems with employer brand because, you know, okay, we're, everyone has a cool startup bro, right? But they're not able to express it in more than sort of very banal terms, right? And how do you build an employer brand? You have to tell the stories of people in your company. Why are they here? What's driving them to spend, you know, 80 hour weeks building some kind of product where they could be, you know, whereas they could be anywhere else, right? So you have to really get the, parts right, the mission, vision, values, all that kind of stuff. You, you can't just do it like everyone else. It won't work. So once you do that storytelling well, you can help people to connect to that story again through that coaching piece. And then because people again are doing very difficult work, usually for little pay, hope of equity, right? They have to be really plugged in. If they're not, they'll burn out, they'll disappear and you'll have high turnover and good luck saving that company. Um, so it's, it's a tricky piece that really takes having someone who understands business very well and happens to do HR in order to get the dance steps right at that point where the company's fast growth and not yet built a, a real HR function. When you talk about, uh, you know, co coaching and, and connecting people, what, when you think about leaders, where do they typically get in their own way? I mean, and I know every leader is different, but I suspect you also see commonalities as you come into different organizations. Oh, you bet. <laughs> I think the, the simplest thing, it's, it's this really, truly vicious cycle of, um, I have to project an image of being the leader, the chief, the, the one you know, who, who plays the pipe. And at the same time, this horrendous case of imposter syndrome. Right, so as is well known, as well documented, most founders, especially first-time founders without much of a support system and all of that, they are really alone and they're really not in a good state, health-wise, mental health-wise. So the kinds of things that come out are this person doesn't take good care of their health or mental health. They are spending inordinate hours usually focused on the wrong things. They might be fortunate in the sense that they create a product that is able to sell well through the efforts of, of their own um, or the efforts of their sales director, what have you. So a lot of the time, the information asymmetry between a founder and everyone else working there is, is already not great to begin with because they have that image to keep up and they have that horrible imposter syndrome, meaning they feel like you know, everyone else is better than them. So the biggest issue to begin with, and this filters down through the organization and multiplies, is very poor information flow. Because that person just feels alone and cornered and you know, they're afraid of what happens if I actually tell people what's going on. I will not be able to look like a leader. They're not going to listen to me. And it's, it's obviously the opposite of what actually happens. As we found out in, you know, during COVID, if you're not a leader who's vulnerable and able to talk about sort of real life scenarios that you're going through and that your employees are going through, you sure as hell are going to feel that you're, you're wooden and insincere. And they're, 
they're not going to want to work for someone like that, especially when there's no FaceTime, <laughs> right? So it's, it's ironically, the best thing a leader can do is get vulnerable and sincere. They don't have to go, you know, uh, whipping their back or anything like that, but just say, hey, you know, I've got three kids. It's really tough. You know, we're all going through this time of great uncertainty. I really appreciate you guys for sticking it out with us. You know, I want to, I want to just, you know, recognize the kinds of sacrifices that you're making to work, let's say three hours more a day and, and really maintain your rhythm. I want to, I want to help in every meaningful way I can. If you need support, you know, there's uh, we can get you a better help subscription or what have you. And so it's just going down and, and, and being with the people, so to speak, but in a meaningful way, not just sort of, you know, being a folksy, whatever. That's, that's the number one thing that I see. It's that lack of sincerity and vulnerability and just being able to be open and communicative. Well, how do you help them kind of, kind of break free from that? Because I can imagine that, you know, they, they get stuck in the cycle thinking they need to focus on the business and miss the point when the business becomes the people versus, you know, when it was 12 people and it was easy to stay focused on the business part. Uh-huh. So the way to do it is to do, you know, practice what I preach is to go down to the person. It's not always go down, just be on their level. That's the point is to be on their level, right? Um, it's saying, look, you know, here's what I do. Here's who I am. You hired me in order to fix your HR, for example, right? So I have a certain credibility I've built up, et cetera. But the way that I did this was anything but in a straight line. This was extremely difficult. I've switched careers five times. I've failed, you know, in inordinate <laughs> times at a lot of things that I've done until I figured out who I am and what am I meant to do, who am I meant to serve. So, you know, in order for me to do my work, I have to open up right away with the person that I'm coaching and say, hey, you know what? Actually, funny thing is your problems, your, you know, lack of ability to take care of yourself or lack of, you know, communication with your employees is awfully, horribly banal, right? It's the most cliche kind of thing for a founder. So guess what? Instead of, you know, making that person feel bad, it makes them feel like, ah, okay, well, I'm not a lost cause, right? There's actually <laughs> a lot of case studies or whatever you want to call them of other founders who've dealt with this. And that means that I can just like deal with it. I'm not a special butterfly. Now, what do I do now? Just like help me get out of it. And it actually becomes lighter. The load becomes much lighter when you don't feel alone or that you're, you're unusual. Everyone has imposter syndrome. Everyone sucks at communication. Everyone is fighting the same battle alone. So like, just deal with it. It's okay. There are plenty of ways to, to deal with those problems. Now let's do it. Well, and you have, I mean, so, so switching gears a little bit here, Yuri, but I think it, it's going to tie everything we've talked about together. So you do have a book coming out. You're telling me a little bit about it before we start recording. Yep. And it was called Be Your Own Commander-in-Chief. And yep. so what does that title mean? How did you choose that title? So believe it or not, it has absolutely nothing to do with our current political <laughs> situation in, uh, in the U.S. Um, the premise is that looking at our times when there's a ton of uncertainty, it's incredibly complex. Um, there's a lot of change. There's a lot of, you know, sort of 
lack of clarity. There's, we, we don't even know what truth is most of the time, right? Most of us maybe give up searching for it. So it's, it's a very, very difficult time morally, politically, socially. There's a lot of upheaval. And what I found, you know, this ain't my first rodeo, so to speak, right? Um, I'm 37. I lived through the Great Recession, changed careers five times, as I mentioned. So I'm an immigrant from the Soviet Union. Um, I grew up with just my mom and my sister. Um, and I've had a lot of upheaval in my life. So ironically, having been through all that, I realized that, okay, there are certain commonalities, right? Um, I, there's a reason why I became a coach because that was always my personality. I was, people for whatever reason would stop me in the street straight up <laughs> and tell me their life story. I'm like, what did it say? Tell me your life story on my forehead. Like what's going on here? And at a certain point you kind of start getting the point. Like people find something in me. Maybe they, they see themselves or, you know, maybe my face is open, something about my features. I don't know. But the point is I'm meant to help other people figure themselves out and be your own commander in chief is my, let's say, attempt at a holistic philosophy that brings together all the different pieces that have helped me not just survive despite all the upheaval, but to thankfully thrive in, in what I do and, and what I'm able to set up with my family, my clients, and to spend a large part of every day working toward the goals that I've set for myself. And just for background, there are four very important conversations that I think all of us are perhaps either not having or that we should have. And, you know, perhaps we focus on one or a second or a third here and there, but there's no concerted effort. So um, what are the four conversations? Number one is with the body. So each one of us has a body that's determined by genetics, epigenetics, environment, et cetera. And very few of us, except for, let's say, endurance athletes, have a very strong sort of biofeedback system. Are we listening to what our body's telling us? Are we looking at all these different signals? Do we even know what to make of them? Whether maybe that's looking at our teeth or, excuse me, excrement, right? Now, microbiome is a big uh, subject. So suddenly we have this mass of information about our body. What do we make of that? Even if we don't want to be endurance athletes, we want to be healthy enough to live a long life to 120 in order to be able to enter a higher cognitive state to do our best work to impact the most people in the most positive way, which is kind of the whole point of this experiment called life, right? So health is one. Number two is the mind. So inside our large human brains, we all have certain mental models. We have ways that we approach making decisions, processing information, managing expectations, let's say managing our finances, our business, our career, um, understanding ourselves in terms of biases, notions, et cetera. So we have all of these different ways that we can approach essentially processing what's going on in the world around us plus in our head. And we often get tripped up by our fight or flight system, by all kinds of wrong associations or trauma. So making sense of all of that to really try to master our mental models. Okay, number three is looking at how we deal with other people. So that might be in a business context, it might be negotiation, winning a business deal, might be acing an interview, um, you know, or other things might be, hey, how do I deal with my wife? Or how do I raise my kids in the right way according to my values, right? Um, and how do I make sure that the other person gets as much value as they need for me 
And also at the same time, I'm able to get whatever value I need from that interaction. Okay, and number four is, you know, loosely speaking, God or um, kind of the universe, right? So all of us have some kind of need to connect to something higher than ourselves. And especially in a time like ours, where there's a lot of upheaval, you know, we talk about plagues this year, right? We've had all kinds of crazy things that almost don't make any sense unless there's some kind of higher power at work or what, what, whatever you want to call it, right? So in a time like this with, with a lot of chaos, we need a sense of something that's stable, some kind of, you know, moral universe, some kind of structure, you know, who am I, what am I, where am I going? Why did I have to go through all that? What is my mission, right? So the premise is those four conversations all are interrelated, right? Even though in self-help literature, we all always talk about those things separately. They're all interconnected. If you want a, an image to tie all this together, look at a drone. You have four propellers. And if the drone is going to fly, never mind go all the way up 30,000 feet or what have you, you need to make sure that all four propellers work in concert with each other. So that if you wanted to accelerate, decelerate, zoom up, zoom down, you have that ability with very tight and precise control. And your, um, you know, I guess it's, it could be called a joystick or some kind of, um, you know, something you're using to control the drone, that is your central processing unit, right? So we want to use all four conversations as leverage to connect them all and to create command of ourselves. Why is that important? Because, you know, regardless, you don't have to have been in the army to understand this, right? We, we live in such a difficult time that we have each one of us, without exception, has to be Odysseus who ties himself to the mast when he's passing by the island full of sirens, right? And why is that? Because we have constant bombardment from news, from shiny objects, um, from you know, uh, things that are designed to uh, stimulate our hormones and distract us, all that kind of thing, right? So um, as uh, Nirial writes in his book, Indistractable, perhaps the number one skill of our times is being indistractable. So if you wanna use that image, that's, that's why I wrote this book. Each one of us has to be our own commander in chief or else risk falling prey to any number of forces in society. And so how does the, the book guide you through that? Is it a series of questions, uh, exercises to be done, just perspective? What's the approach you took? Sure. Thank you for asking that. Um, that's actually a very important um, thing about this book. So th the way it's structured is that every chapter, whether that's you know about time management or managing expectations or um, nutrition, is structured in a way where I first tell my story. Okay, so I usually it's about <laughs> how um, you know I grew up. Maybe nutrition was a really big thing, uh, but I didn't really you know make a concerted effort at it until later. Or you know I was absolutely horrible at managing money because you know I'm a creative, I'm a writer, this and that. I had all these images in my head of who I am or who I'm not. And, you know, when you grow up and you have to start adulting, you've got a, you know, wife and kids, you can't really do that stuff anymore. So I learned all these hard lessons this way. Um, so here are the conclusions that I drew, that I stayed basic premises. 
Um, and then I go throughout um, and basically give very no-nonsense guidelines. This is how you, let's say, set up your money, or this is how you set up your time. And then I go deeper into each sub point and say, okay, well, let's say if you want to, uh, you know, lower your costs, here are the more tactical things that you should do in order to do that. And then the next part of the chapter talks about specific resources. So maybe there's a worksheet, maybe there's a training, maybe there's another book or a podcast that you should go listen to if you want to go deeper into the subject. Okay. And what I found is that this approach covers any learning style. It covers any, um, you know, any way that a person might go to implement something. They might relate to the story and that might touch them. Uh, they might relate to a no-nonsense uh, outline of how to do this, right? They might um, relate best to some kind of in-depth approach. So if you want to learn about, uh, you know, holistic approach to finances, go look at Dave Ramsey's stuff, for example, or Ramit Sethi, right? So my, my point in writing the book is not to necessarily create an authoritative guide to each of these things. It's very much that 80-20 approach, right? So if you want, again, what, what, what is the point here? If you're a commander in chief of yourself, then you're able to have good health, good mental models, ability to relate to others and understand your context, you know, within the universe or how God relates to that by taking an 80-20 approach. It's not perfection. Perfection doesn't exist, right? What practices do I need to set up in my life, in my business, in my home, in my relationships in order to regularly enter a higher cognitive state in order to do my life's best work to serve the people that I meant to serve with the greatest positive impact, okay? And then if I'm not the expert on the subject, then there are plenty of others that you can go and explore in depth. But this, this is a map, this is a massive map. I've always been a huge fan of maps since I was a kid, loved National Geographic, all that stuff. My, my job is to show people the extent of what exists in their universe in those four conversations, then they can see the interconnections, they can build bridges, they can create systems to create virtuous cycles. That's the way you really change your life. And that's the way that maybe you change your career, build a business, but you have to have awareness of all those things and at least some 80-20 arrangement to start building and leveraging. Sounds good. Well, and that seems like a, a good place to, to start wrapping up here, Yuri. So first off, where can people find you? Where can they find the book? Sure. Um, you're welcome to visit my uh, personal website. It's yurikruman.com, Y-U-R-I-K-R-U-M-A-N.com. That can lead you to um, all the different kinds of work that I'm doing. You can also um, pre-order the book there uh, if you so wish. And that will lead you to my two companies. Master the Talk Consulting is my coaching practice and HR Talent and Systems is my HR consulting company. And uh, you, know, you should also be able to find lots of great resources, whether that's around HR or coaching. And uh, you know, more than welcome to get in touch. Excellent, excellent. Well, and you may have answered this already, but question I always ask my guests is, what ask would you have for the listeners? What, what would you, if you could ask them to do anything for you, what would it be? 
I would just say that, you know, this is both um, as a coach as, and as an HR person, um, I think the most important thing is just to have personal responsibility and accountability, right? Nobody owes you anything, but the truth is that there are lots and lots of people and resources that can help you to become your best self, best professional, et cetera, if you ask. So one of my maxims is if you don't ask, the answer is always no. So always ask whatever it is you need. There's no stupid question. There's always someone that can help you. And if that's not someone in your immediate circle, there's always somewhere else or someone else you can ask. All right. Well, very nice. Well, Yuri, this has been fantastic. Um, you know, I, I love wide ranging conversations and I love conversations about business and people. And we, we've covered a lot of it there. And I'm still going back to the zone of genius. That was just something I happened to write down. I don't think I'd heard it put that way before. Um, and am looking forward to the book coming out. So thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me on Brock. It's been a real pleasure.